And unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. For this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Actually, I think I've preached on this passage here at Lighthouse before, but... uh, our church is um, at Calvary is in their scripture memory program for two years. We're looking at passages that had to do with the local church. And uh, so I thought I would just, uh, one of the main passages we're doing is Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And we're, we're started in chapter 3 already. But I uh, thought I'd just do kind of a summary message of each of these churches, not anything real long, but um, um, obviously Revelation 2 and 3 is is a, if not the, major passage in all the Bible on the doctrine of the local church. Um, it gives, here there are several actual churches that were in existence in the first century. Uh, the Lord gives an evaluation of those churches, and so it tells us what weaknesses we can look or expect in churches, and also can tell us what uh, the Lord really highly values, and so it provides us with teaching that all about what all churches should be alert to avoid, as well as what we should strive to attain. The problem with this passage, of course, is that most people have been misled to think these churches refer to all believers in the world during a certain areas of church history. Uh, for example. People talk about the Laodicean church, and what they're talking about is everybody that's alive, that's a Christian, right before Jesus returns. How many have ever heard that before? Okay, there's not a, there's nothing in the Bible that indicates that at all. I, you know, but all of them, they take all of them like that, give some kind of arbitrary age for them, and so forth. Um, and so it really robs churches, people of uh, some very practical understanding of some of the most important instruction that the Lord gave about New Testament churches. Uh, Tonight we're going to look at, as I said, the first, we read the first of the seven churches, one of the most important churches in the New Testament. Uh, It was a church started by the Apostle Paul. Timothy pastored that church. The Apostle John also pastored that church. So when we're thinking about... uh, great men, greatly used of God, chosen of God, that, that had to be uh, three of the greatest, and they all pastored this, this, this church at different times. 
And what we're going to see here is that no matter how faithful and how sound a church may be, if it begins to falter in its love for God, if that happens, if they allow that to happen, it will not be long before the church has no light at all. And so I'm going to look at just the simple, again, it's not going to be really thorough or anything, but the revelation of the Lord that He gives, then the commendation of the church, the notification of danger, and uh, then lastly, the motivation of disciples. Uh, the title of the message is uh, Estrangement, the Dangerous First Step. Estrangement. Um, when we get the revelation of the Lord, the Lord reveals Himself here as the Redeemer and owner of the church. In verse 1, He says, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now chapter 1 tells us that the uh, golden candlesticks or lampstands or whatever you want to call them, they were oil lamps. Uh, not candlesticks the way we would think of it, but uh, a, a lamp, kind of a little cup dish thing that had a wick in it, and there were seven on there. Probably some of you have seen a menorah, uh, but they didn't use wax like we do for candles, so it might give us sort of the, the, the wrong idea. But nevertheless, he says that he holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. Now, Chapter 1 tells us what that is. In verse 16, it says, He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and so forth. But verse 20 says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars, the angels of the seven churches, read messengers there, and we'll come back to that, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. They're light-giving things. I can't think of a better word right now. (laughs) They give light. And he says he's holding these seven stars in his right hand. Well, the right hand is mentioned often in the Scripture. Um, In uh, Exodus 15, verse 6, it says, Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy, so it talks about its power, its glory, its uh, destruction of the enemies, God's people. Psalm 16, verse 8, it says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. So we've got security. We've got uh, fellowship there. Psalm 16, 11, Thou wilt show me the path of light. A life in thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So his satisfying of all our needs, again, his fellowship. Psalm 17, 7, Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. So again, protection in the right hand. Psalm eighteen thirty five, Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up, and thy gentleness hath made me great. And then one from the New Testament, Matthew twenty-two forty-four, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. So here he is talking about this church. Uh, they are in a position, in a relationship with the Lord. They're under His authority. 
they are executing His will for Him. Uh, he's doing His work on the earth through them. They're sharing in His glory. They have His protection. Uh, so He is the owner. He is the redeemer. And uh, He uses the, the church, this church and the other churches, to do His work. Um, he is also the overseer of the church. In, in uh, verse 1 there at the end, it says, Who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So certainly that has to do with fellowship, but he's observing. He's the overseer. He's checking to see how things are going. Are they working properly? Is there affection what it ought to be? Uh, is there a knowledge and all these types of things? So he's walking around and uh, checking on what they're doing, looking into it. Uh, so he's the over, overseer, fellowship, examining. Uh, as it says there in verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. He's checking into what they're doing. And then the, when it, here's the Lord re- reveal himself, I, I want us to note here the channel of communication. He says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, right. Now, when we think about God communicating to us, the, the most important thing, the thing we should always think of is the Word of God. And of course, what's said here was written down for all of us to read and so forth. It, he actually commands him to write. And yet, this message is being delivered through an angel. Actually, that word means Messenger. John is called, I think in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, the messenger of God. There's a couple, two or three other places where men are called uh, messengers. Uh, so the man of God, the pastor, and what he's going to do, he's receiving the word of God from the Lord, and then he's going to read it, and he's going to expound it to that church. The exact same thing we do today. And yet when you... Make this all like you know, uh, an angelic being and a, you know, some type of age in church history. What does that mean? How is he communicating to us? And so this is just a, the, the word of, through the word of God, the man of God preaching to his churches. And by the way, I know we have the written word of God today. They, most ages have not had that where they could carry one around with them. You, know, they, you can see them going to the synagogue carrying scrolls. You know, I'm bringing Isaiah. You get uh, Malachi or something like that. They, did, they didn't have their own copy of the Word of God. So I know that we have it today. But I want you to understand the primary way still for God communicating His Word is through His men that He's called and chosen preaching to churches. And so you think about all these people that say they're a Christian, they're not in any kind of church where that's going on. They're, they're not really, they don't, it's obvious they don't have much or understand much of the revelation that God has given to us of himself. And so here, this is, this is exactly what's going on, and we see there in uh, verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto what? The churches. And so again, it shows you how important the church is in God's making himself known to people. So there's the revelation of the Lord, and there's a, there's a commendation to this church. It's, a, it's hard to beat. 
He says, he speaks of their mature labor. In verse 2, he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. He says then in verse 3, and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Well, the Bible says a lot about patience. And that's not waiting, you know, when it's going to come around, you know. Patience is is abiding under something. It's enduring something. It's, it's keeping on, keeping on when you're under pressure, when you're under stress or something like that. And so here was a church. He said, I know, you, I know your works. And he also used the word labor. Well, works is one thing, but labor is the kind of thing that wears you down. It's, it's grueling. And, but they've kept on. They haven't stopped. In fact, they've got enemies here that he speaks about, but that hadn't kept them from laboring for the Lord. Um, and so there, James tells us that uh, patience, and also Romans and other passages, that patience is one of the great qualities that Christians need. They're just steadfast. They keep doing the job. They, no matter what people do to them, what happens to them, think about Job. The Bible says we know the patience of Job. What they mean is he kept on serving God in spite of all the things against him. And that it demonstrates the maturity of this church. Is it, you know, if things weren't ever going right, it didn't mean they left the church or they quit. They said, well, I'm not, I didn't get treated right there. I'm not going back, that type of thing. These are people that are serious about serving the Lord and they're putting their... Uh, Back into it, hard hard work. And he also speaks of their loyalty and their jealousy and hatred. Verse 2, again, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. Um, and then verse 6 He says, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. All right. He says, You can't bear them which are evil. It's like somebody says, I I cannot stand that person. I detest them. Now, we think that's not a Christian quality, but it is. He says, Those that are evil those that are working against God, those who are opposing God's people, those that are perverting and opposing God's truth. Why should we be enamored with people like that? In Psalm 139, uh, in verse 21, David said, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I agreed with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. Not a sinful hatred. Which, I'm going to get into politics a little bit here since the preacher's not here. Why don't they go back to where they came from? Now, three of those women were born in the United States. One of them was born in, what, Sudan or somewhere like that? Uh, What Trump was trying to say is, if you don't like this place, leave. You know, if you don't believe in our country, you don't believe in its laws, you want to be a communist, you want to be 
a theocracy ruled by the moon god or something like that. Go somewhere else and do that. There's a right and a proper hatred, and that is a right and proper loyalty to our nation. If you've got people that want to, in our government who completely want to change it. But the same way here, people that are opposing the Lord Jesus Christ and the only Savior and the truth that He gives that sets us free, if people are opposing that, we ought to hate what they're doing. And uh, the Lord commends them for that. He even talks about a group called the Nicolaitans. That's probably not the easiest to define, but I I believe he's, He's talking about the rule over the people. I believe he's talking about the first denominational type things. It wasn't too long after the churches were started that, you know, you had, just like you do today, you had big pastors in big cities with big churches who wanted to be bishops, meaning not just an overseer of a church, but an overseer of a bunch of churches. And uh, he said they hated that. Later, he's going to say himself, he hates it. And this is still a tremendous problem among churches when we allow somebody other than the Lord and His Word to dictate our practices and our convictions and our um, standards and so forth, what, what our emphasis are. He said they hated that. And the Lord commended them for that. Their loyalty was to him, and it was a passionate loyalty. You know, somebody insults your wife or your pastor or someone like that, a good friend of yours, if you won't stand up for them, you don't, let me just say this, I don't have much use for you. If we can't stand up for the Lord, you think about Levi. Remember how Levi came to be the priestly family? Well, there they were having this, they were being, actually one of the churches talks about this, Balaam counseled Balak to send women among the Israelites and seduce the men and to get them to worship false gods. And that was going on. It was a tremendous problem there in Israel. And Levi saw one man, one Israelite man, take one of their women into his tent. He went and killed both of them. And the Lord said, okay, I want you to lead in worship among my people. And here is this church had that kind of loyalty to the Lord. Now that's, they, they, this is a loving church. They worked hard for the Lord. They defended Him. They stood for Him and so forth. Um, and so he, I don't know how he could get commended much more, more better or strongly than the church at Ephesus was. But he was dissatisfied with something. And so we see the notification of danger. His dissatisfaction is expressed in verse 4. He says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. I think it is important to notice he didn't say you've lost it, but they deliberately left it. Well, in other words, you have to make a choice to leave fervent love for the Lord. So what are you talking about? 
Don't you just kind of drift apart? Well, that's the point. Love has to be sustained. It has to be maintained. Um, I guess, well, let's see, Bradley and his bride are, the, I think, the most new, recent, most recently married. Um, you know, you can either be in love when you get married, <laughs> which a lot of times is sort of ignorant, you know. You don't know everything about everybody, about them, each other. You think you do, but once you get married, you're going to learn a lot more. But love develops and becomes much stronger and more mature if you maintain that, if you work at that, if you communicate, if you work out your problems, if you say, you know what, things are not exactly right. I need to take some action to change that. And at some point, this church, though it was doing all this work, lost some of the fervency of their love for the Lord. They kept doing the stuff, but he said they had left their first love. Um, And that has a reference to time, no doubt. It has a reference to priority. It has a reference to uh, um, position. But the Lord has always required this. In Luke 14, verse 26 and 27, he said, If any man will come to me and hate not, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's a strong statement. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. He's demanding that we choose Him in our devotion and our fervency above everyone else, including ourselves. Later in that chapter, verse 33, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Spurgeon and Becca just had placed in their lives probably the greatest, one of the greatest challenges they will ever have to the love, their love for the Lord. They're going to have to choose, are they going to love that daughter more and give her what she wants, or are they going to love the Lord and give Him what He wants? I trust they've already done that with each other. You know, and it's supposed to be like hatred in the sense that when it becomes a choice between the two of them, the choice is always for the Lord. And the person might say, you don't love me. Well, I do. I love you more than anybody else except the Lord, and you're not even close second. And this is what he's saying to this church. They were still working. They were laboring. They were putting up with a lot of stuff. They wouldn't quit. They were loyal to the Lord. But he said, you know what? You just don't love me like you, do, like you used to. You don't have the same passion for me. You're going through the motion somewhat as opposed to genuinely loving me. And so the Lord expressed His dissatisfaction, and He he made some demands. Those are found in verse 5. He said, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. 
So we got three R's there. Remember. I think most of you have been saved a while. Not all of you, but uh, you know, there's a regular thing that happens to me. I read my Bible when I get up in the morning. And uh, some days I find myself just going through the motions. Excuse me, going through the motions. And it's not special. Well, part of that's just human life, okay? But if you go for a few days and you're not getting anything out of your reading, if it's not speaking to your heart, you've got a, got a problem that needs to be correct. We ought to enjoy the, our time with the Lord. And so we need to remember the way it was before. Remember the things that we used to do. You know, you certainly can compare this with your relationship with your husband or your wife. Uh, my wife pointed out that we just had our 34th, is that right? Let's see. Yeah, 34th uh, wedding anniversary. And uh, she said she didn't get any flowers. Well, I used to do that all the time. And I, I, I thought, worked out a plan to, to uh, correct that, but I'm 62, I forgot. Uh, but you know, he said, remember. I tell you what, fellas, if your wife can remember all these things you used to do, just things like opening the door or calling her some affectionate name or something like that, and it stopped. Well, she knows about it. We need to remember. He said, repent. What that means is to acknowledge that I'm not doing right. I'm not doing, I'm not loving the Lord like I'm supposed to. What He requires of me. It, I, I have to admit it and change. I've got to change. So remember, repent, and then redo. Start doing those things that you used to do. Uh, being a witness and praying about, uh, trying to witness to somebody every day, reading the Word of God, uh, spending time in prayer, rejoicing church and so forth, being active, trying to uh, encourage other Christians. And then there's another one that's we could say rehear or hear reproof because in verse 7 he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So here's instruction for every church. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. And he goes on. But the point is, one of the major things, going back to this revelation, one of the major things about living for the Lord and loving Him is whether you're going to take reproof from your angel, your pastor. Do you want to hear it? Is that what you come, hoping that the Lord will speak to your heart and convict you and instruct you? Well, that's a major part of having that type of love. So the Lord demands these things, and then He warns them about the danger of this condition. Verse 6, He says, but, excuse me, not verse 6, um, verse 5, he says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, 
or else I will come to thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now think about this. Here is a hard-working church, loyal to God. They love Him in a lot of ways. They hate those who are His enemies. They're doing the work day day after day and so forth. But He said, you know what? Your love is slacked off. And if you don't change it, if you don't restore that, Before long, you will not even be a New Testament church. You won't be given light to the world. And that's what a church is. It's it's a light. He he talks about that in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. City set on the hill and so forth gives out its light. If we stop providing light, it's because the Lord has removed our candlestick. He's judged us to be not a New Testament church. And the point is this, there is a first step away from being what we ought to be. As a church, your pastor has a responsibility to oversee that, but so do each of us. We're individually responsible for that. And if we get to the point where we're just going through the motions, uh, if you don't work to correct that, someday you're going to be wishing, you know, I remember how Lighthouse used to be. And now the doors are closed or now it's gone into apostasy or something like that. <clears throat> and it's this first step of estrangement. We're just not as close as we used to be. And so he warns them about the danger and then he gives them some motivation, of course. In verse 7, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, again, we have to respond to the word of God from the angel. And you might say, they probably say this at Calvary, of course. Well, my, my pastor's not an angel. He is a messenger. He's God's messenger. And there are plenty of messengers in the Bible who without a doubt God's official messengers and they had a lot of faults. It's not, it's not an excuse there for that. When we hear the word of God and God's speaking to us, we need to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. As your pastor is directed by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit uses his words and so forth. Um, we better recognize that, and other churches have to do the same. Because he says, he's let all the churches hear this. This was the greatest personal, individual need for the church at Ephesus. But he says, this is what every church needs to pay attention to. And we must value the eternal over the temporal. He says there, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Okay, you know, I'm a big sports fan, football in particular. And um, they're getting ready to start practice in the hottest time of the year, you know, right around the 1st of August. And uh, I probably even mentioned this before we get up, I know what it's like in Clemson, in South Carolina. 
there's like these a field that's about the size of ten football fields. And at one end, there's if you look down at the other end, there's a there's a hill. Actually, on both ends, the road's up on up, about this way up uh, over the practice field. Down at the other end, it's kind of leveled out and it's big. Another kind of like a mount, a, law, a wall of dirt. And what's over top of that one is a lake. So we're practice fields are way below the level of the lake. But from that lake, there goes all the way around the practice field a moat. And when it gets to be 100 degrees in Clemson, South Carolina in August, and then you have little things like we had today, a, a little patch of cloud comes over and it drops a little bit of rain and then it moves on. doesn't change the temperature, but there's, it's like a sauna. And then you put on 25 pounds of equipment you know what, it's hard to think about we want to be a champion six months from now when you're in all that heat and hitting people and stuff like that. And this, but this is, this, is, this is what he's telling them they have to do. Their focus has to be on eternity. We have to remember who it is that redeemed us um, and who's going to give us the tree of life, which is in the midst of of the paradise of God. And that requires faith. And we must choose to act based on what we know to be true, but what we cannot see. We have to believe and trust the Lord. And that belief has to be channeled toward love toward Him. And here's the thing. How could you criticize the church at Ephesus? Well, again, it's just like in sports. You can have all the talent. You could have worked hard. But if you lose your focus and your intensity and your love for, your, for the game or whatever, just for the Lord in this case, for your spouse and your marriage or whatever it is, it just takes that first step of estrangement, of not loving the Lord like we all do, to, for all this to change. Um, I mean, how much would it take for a lighthouse to become not a church? And I don't know if you think about that. I know your pastor does because he's a pastor and we think, we think alike. Uh, you know, there's never been a year when I didn't think our church could fall apart at Calvary. I've been there... 34, 30, see, 34 for 36 years at, at, at Calvary. And it's a, it's a constant thing on my mind. And I, it's, we have this responsibility to, to see as much as we possibly can that everyone in the church loves the Lord. But that's your responsibility as well. You're the ones that we're talking about. So... Where do you stand? Do you read your Bible daily? You you got a new couple and they get together, newly married. They can't see each other enough. And I remember on our honeymoon, let's tell this. (laughs) We got married on Saturday. We did go to church on Sunday. 
And I remember saying, Kathy, because she was half sitting on me and half sitting on the pew. And there we were at a church, you know, I thought, this is embarrassing. <laughs> well, she doesn't do it now. In fact, I'm going to complain about that. Yeah. But where are you spiritually? And maybe you don't even know what I'm talking about, that type of love and affection for the Lord. He is the most important, the most exciting thing in your life. And if that's, if that's not the case, you're, you're hindering your church. And the Lord is not pleased with you in that sense, he wants you to love him more than anything else or anyone else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this love that you have for us. It's amazing that an almighty God who knows everything, knows all about us, would be so intensely desirous of us loving you. And I pray, Father, that you'd help each of us to consider this and realize that this is exactly what we owe you and help us identify things in our lives that are a hindrance to that love. And Lord, help us to purpose to change those things, to remember and repent and redo and make sure that we continue here to hear the instruction of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.